Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. This week I'm going to do a reading from a blog post I wrote a while ago. So if you want a link to the blog post, it's in the show notes if you rather rather read. But I'm going to read it out, but also I might have some further reflections as I go through it. Um, it's about the effect of toxic masculinity influences and... The reason that I get asked to talk about this is that I'm a man. I do relationships and sexuality education. I spent a lot of my working life doing specifically work around masculinities with young men. In fact, that's how I got into this in the first place. Uh, When I was training to be a youth worker, that was my kind of specific project that I was interested in working on. The first job I'd got in relationships and sex education was specifically around working with young men around challenging things like uh, sexism, racism, homophobia, homophobia, etc. Um, so I've had a lot of experience working with men. I get asked to talk about it a lot, but mostly I get asked to talk about it because I'm a man, and um, which I think is problematic. And um, But also, I um, people don't like what it is that I've gone to say quite often because I want to complicate things and say that this is incredibly complex. So I am going to be... Uh, kind of complexifying this idea here using some of the things that I've learned from doing this podcast, particularly from the work of uh, Jacob Johansson, whose work's really, really useful around this. And that's what I'm going to reflect on. So I'm going to read this out. Uh, There'll be some announcements at the end as well, dear uh, fans of the show. Okay, so the effect of toxic masculinity influences. This article is in response to the questions I get about what should we do about toxic masculinity influences. I complexify the idea of an individual having a singular effect. I argue that there are potential harms of uncritically accepting a common sense, cause and effect discourse of toxic masculinity. How paying attention to those discourses covers over failings which are closer to home. And lastly, how the solution has been there all along. But it's our own embedded institutional toxic masculinities which prevent us from accessing them. Andrew Tate and other toxic masculinity influences cause a lot of harm, in person as we are seeing, and also via the messages they articulate. The hateful, misinformed, sexist and violent discourses or stories are harmful. If they are repeated in school, in RSE, in exercise books, in corridors, in the playground, etc., this is also harmful. It's hard, also hard to deal with, because often it's harming our students or us or our loved ones. But we have to address this topic with the complexity it deserves, in my opinion. Entanglements, not effects. I think we have to be careful when we talk about the influence that people have on people, or the effect that celebrities, influencers, or media have on people. Toxic masculinity influencers aren't making young men think in a particular way. Influencers, celebrities, and media don't cause effects on us in this way it's much more complicated there's a huge amount of work on critiquing the media effects models that i'm just talking about here we've known for many years that young people even children from an early age are able to bring a high degree of critique and media literacy to media we bring with us our own values experiences understandings and bodies whenever we encounter celebrity discourse influence media or porn So rather than being passive sponges soaking up an effect 
and unconsciously reproducing an influence, we encounter, encounter these dis discourses in a complex entanglement. So, for example, a young man who is a fan of, insert toxic masculinity influencer here, is an entanglement. This entanglement might, this entanglement might include the following relationships. School, phone, dad, height, clothing, own experiences of violence, anger, dating, fear, where they live, muscles, puberty, penis size, anxiety, football, their pet, RSE, TikTok, dad, queerness and feminism as other, online spaces, their future, disconnection, the word gay, history, unrequited enamorations, shyness. And I've got a link there in the article too, an interesting article about young men's entanglements and assemblages. Why is this important? It might sound like I'm nitpicking, but I think it's important to be more precise about how we talk about the effect of toxic masculinity influences. This is because one, the influence isn't the outcome. Any influence of misogyny is reproduced by young men because they, in some way, want to. It's important not to lose the intentionality of this, because this lets men off the hook. Hook. Just like the arguments about video nasties, violent video games, rap, grime, drill, or pornography making someone more violent. We don't accept this argument for these forms of media, and we shouldn't accept this for influencers either. It's inaccurate and leads to bad outcomes. Their motivations for doing it might be very different, but that's something else I'll come on to later. Two, there isn't just one influence. There are influencers, but there are also lots of potential toxic masculinity influences, like I talked about in the entanglement just now. Society produces and makes use of the kinds of masculinities that they espouse, the kinds of common sense arguments they make about the roles of men and women and heterosexuality are also made by conservative politicians, hegemonic sex education, some TV and film. We're often implicated in supporting this as individuals and collectives. Our lives are organised around outdated modes of work. This, for example, rewards labour coded as masculine, hard, tough, logical, more than labour coded as feminine, soft, caring feelings. More on this later when we get to how this plays out in schools. Three, it outsources responsibility. It lets us off the hook as a society from tackling this topic by externalising this as a bad outside effect we want to get rid of. I'm all in favour of never hearing from these men ever again, but mostly I hear about them, people like Andrew Tate, via people that want to critique them. So whenever Andrew Tate appears on a TV show to be interviewed by the BBC or Piers Morgan or whoever, that's the only time I ever hear from him. Outsourcing responsibility to these others, so people like Andrew Tate, means we obscure the real problems. It also means that we are obscuring the best solutions. Quite frankly, if these men, these men, are such a huge threat to this generation of men, what does that say about us? I can understand why teachers are alarmed about this. I'm always in solidarity with teachers. But these basic common sense ideas of effect and influence are not helpful. 
Instead, maybe we should accept our own failings or omissions as educators, but also to add to that, you know, parents, uh, political actors, activists, members of a community, or in any in any kind of role we take in our lives where we reperpetuate common sense ideas about masculinity. Our job is to be part of the of the entanglements of young men, to be resourcing them with tools, technologies, influences, modes of being, the possibilities for joy, embodiment, care, learning, and also subjectivity, like to give them a masculine subjectivity. This is what education is supposed to do. See also parenting. So the call from educators should be more, we need resources and training and support to do our jobs, unless... What are the authorities going to do about violent misogyny online? Though that would also be beneficial, clearly. The other problem with this, with the basic, with the very basic uh, common sense idea of cause and effect, is that it's saying men have no agency. It's going to be counterproductive to any work of liberation around young masculinities to say that young men are so inf easily influenced by these men, like they're captured by Andrew Tate or something I hear constantly. It's basically saying that they have no agency or that they aren't desiring machines. The work is to convince young men of the benefits of feminism for them. It's not that hard, honestly. The same forces which violently oppress the other are those which violently coerce young men into masculinity. And again, what's your school doing about this? Or what are we all doing about this? Like, politically? The other problem, I think we're up to the fifth problem now anyway. Uh, the other problem, it others young people. Young people are no more subject to influence than adults. To suggest they are is disempowering and infantilizing. We run the risk of reifying the problem, that is, current toxic masculinity influencer, by talking up his influence and the common sense idea that his influence is causing uncritically bad effects in young men when we should be paying attention to what it might be doing and what else we be, could be doing as a society. Researchers consistently find that when we talk about someone being an influence, people will pass on their influences to others. So this third-person effect means that people think that they won't be influenced by the influence, but other people will, particularly young people or people with less social capital which is one of the big problems with for, with a lot of resources, like, for example, the tea and consent video. I won't go into that here, I'll get angry. Or people who are read as less intelligent and critical than them. It's infuriatingly patronising. So we can accept that we are critical thinkers in an entanglement of different relations, but that others aren't. Fuck that. Be aware of the spectacle. I've been a relationships and sexuality educator since 1999. I've first got into youth work and RSE in order to work with young men around what we called back then macho values. So I've had first-hand experience with misogynistic and violent views and behaviour. Sometimes I've been on the receiving end. Overall, I think I'm encountering a lot less of this. So we also need to be wary of the spectacle of one person's infamy, because if current toxic masculinity influencer is forgotten, so will the whole subject of what we need to do about masculinities. What kinds of resources do young people, teachers, educators, parents, members of the community, uh, political actors need? Consider the possibilities for a society not territorialising certain traits, jobs, 
roles as masculine and then reifying those in a neoliberal capitalist context. The last 25 years have been spent palming off the responsibility for toxic young masculinities onto influencers such as violent films, Grand Theft Auto, Drill, Gonzo Porn and now influencers. At no point do we hear about how young masculinities are produced in and around our school systems and in our communities. This is what we should be talking about. What, to what produces toxic masculinities being brought up? So the question for how to deal with this in relationships and sexuality education is to consider what might produce toxic masculinity influences being brought up by young men when his name or the views of the manosphere generally are brought up with me there is another entanglement going on and i've written about that in another article this entanglement might include mobile phones andrew tate hormones fragments of sexual knowledge trans slash queerness football shirts nail varnish chairs my absence presence commitments to marriage spacious classroom covid presence absence of teaching staff, school rule signs, Play-Doh, previous sexual experiences, unique cultures, concerns about pregnancy, music, and the resources that I bring in. Added to this, in my conversations with young men specifically bringing him or his ideas from the manosphere up, the assemblage of factors producing this might be checking my credentials, my age, the extent of my commitments to feminism and anti-oppression, that they don't know me? How will I react? Will I overreact or underreact? How interested I am in what they have to say? Opening up a conversation? My role as expert facilitator? Their role as naughty boys? Queerness? Bonding with mates? Things they can't ask but want to? Testing my ability to listen? And the things that they've heard about consent campaigns? It's important to go a lot further than just thinking about the effects that influencers have on individuals. Thinking about what might produce the effect in class or wherever else can give us really important clues as to how we might deal with it. It also provides us with some room to think about the kinds of technologies of care we might use to educate and protect them, others and ourselves. Motivations and Solutions when we see toxic masculinity being brought up, it's very easy just to assume that the only motivations for this are because they want to cause harm. This might be true, of course. And if someone is doing harm, it needs to be dealt with like any other harm, either by safeguarding protocols, or bullying policies, or how you deal with violence in schools or colleges, and also how we deal with these things in our homes, in our communities, etc. However, it's worth thinking about some of the motivations for why someone might be doing toxic masculinities. This gives us some space to think about how we might unproduce them, un-slash-produce them, to think about solutions and to provide lines of flight for their masculinities to become other. Discomfort and connection. Perhaps in the process of saying something out loud, they want to see how long these ideas can survive in the offline world with people, relations, reputations, and the risk of disconnection. The manosphere 
have spaces for men to produce and reproduce an armour which seeks to contain the fragile and disconnected masculinities of its participants. Maybe they want to test this in the real world. They might also be revealing a sense of their own discomfort with their unconscious or what makes them vulnerable. I talk about how hegemonic masculinity forms the dough of a jam donut. When the jam, which we consider here as feelings, are at risk of being revealed, they create more hegemonic masculinities to cover it up. Dough. Consider the young man who isn't popular, isn't sporty or athletic, isn't wealthy, isn't considered attractive. What kinds of masculinities are left for them to produce? What kinds of dough might they produce in order to project that jam? Violent, misogynist and oppressive ones. RSE and recognition. It might be in response to the curriculum. They are saying, I want to talk about gender, particularly my gender. How does your curriculum or school or parenting, workplaces, communities, political activism, how, does, how, does, how do you present masculinities? Do you have a great deal of RSE, for example? If you only have a bit, how else does your school produce young masculinities? If your curriculum is simply producing a discourse of young masculinities as perennially being the problem, then you're part of the problem. See also if your RSE uncritically produces a heteropessimism. More links to this elsewhere. They might be seeking recognition, as Jacob Johansson writes in Fantasy Online Misogyny and the Manosphere. Quote, it needs to be stressed that the very creation of their toxic identities undermines recognition by the other. However, this does not mean that they would not deeply desire a sense of recognition which goes beyond the immediate one of their male communities. Unquote. You might be thinking, I wish I could get men in my school slash community who would be up for doing this kind of work. I know, right? That would be very helpful. However, A. Hegemonic masculinities disallows this in men, even if they are teachers or youth workers or... Uh, leftists, political actors, uh, members of a community, etc. B. Women can be very good at doing this work too. Shout out to the brilliant women who trained me to do this work, for example. What we need is a structural change where the status of RSC is boosted. For example, there's more time in the curricula for RSC, there's more money for training and resources. The PSHE coordinator being on the same pay as head of department or year. Make the pie bigger and see how we all slice it up. There's an irony here. The low status of PSHE and RSE in school timetables is because of the low status of this being, because this is low status, because it is coded as feminine work. It's not about results or the quality of the school in terms of, um, in terms of league tables should be it's because we're measuring the wrong things if we were measuring how safe young people felt going to school how they could uh, do their gender in ways uh, which felt good for them but also everyone else how consensual school was how they um how respectful that everyone was to each other and just how happy they were how well-rounded they they were then it would be then uh perhaps these roles would be given more status within schools and perhaps more men might want to do them can we show a different way? Perhaps they might be testing us and our response. 
But if the hateful things they were saying about the other women, queer folk, or anyone who was a phallic threat to a fragile masculinity, mirrored or in some way replicated the hatred they might feel for themselves. Jacob Johansson talks about this as dis-slash-inhibition. I've massively oversimplified this, though. Um, go back to the podcast I did with uh, Jacob about online misogyny, fantasy, and the manosphere. Scroll back a few episodes, quite a few episodes, and you'll find it. It's an excellent book and hopefully a really useful conversation. Maybe also they want you to experience some of the fear and sadness that permeates their gendered identity, which the manosphere thrives on. Perhaps they're just asking for the smallest glimmer, the tiniest glimpse, that you can offer them a different kind of masculinity to hold on to. What are the possibilities for our responses to create a new line of flight where they might become a different kind of masculinity? As Laura U. Mark says in her chapter Inspectors of Fascism, I got this from Jacob's book, there are lots of cultures and subcultures of men who don't cultivate or reject the armoured ideal of the Freikorps soldiers or alpha masculinity. In North American societies, there are slackers, dropouts, sensitive men sometimes, bears and puppies who push back against the gay hard body cult, born males who reject the gender and try out a third path, lesbian boys, stylish men, men who grow old gracefully, it's probably me, hopefully, men at ease with their sexuality, gentle fathers, gamers who manage to balance the imaginary body, adventuring in virtual space, and the sloth, flabby, physical body at the console. There are so many kinds of lovely men, unquote. Small interventions can make a huge difference. Certainly over my career, having worked with thousands of young men in person and millions online, I've had the most successful interventions with young men when I can pause, breathe, and ask questions that might help them to do this. What does that do for you? What else? What difference would it make to you if? I'm noticing that you're head up. How's everything feeling? I do this with young men who don't know me at all, which has its advantages and disadvantages. But if I don't co-produce this toxicity, locking horns, giving them a bollocking, backing them into a corner, but gently challenge them and open up a space for them to be better, the outcomes can be staggering. Young men are so desperate for nourishment and care, they'll ask for it even if you show the slightest signs that you're willing to offer it. It's not always easy to do this, but be encouraged by the idea that all these young men want from you is a glimmer of hope that they can become other. How can you respond to someone that will show them different kinds of masculinities are possible? Keep paying attention to what's better. We might need to be creative in how we tackle it. Making sure we make and stick to group agreements. Only having discussions with young men in their small groups. Quiet words after class. Keeping a pastoral eye out in the rest of the school. But if you can... What might be the smallest sign that a young man has become non-toxic? What might you notice? Is there anything he might notice in your response? This kind of what's better way of thinking is from solution-focused therapy and is a way of seeing the resources, not deficits in people, but in this case, young men in particular. 
showing this kind of compassion for doing for young men doing toxic masculinities is not going to land well with everyone. But if we see it as a form of safeguarding and harm minimization for everyone else, as well as the young men themselves, then we might start to see things from a different perspective. And it's not like everything else has been working. Here are a few more tips on how to deal with toxic masculinities in RSE, but a lot of this is going to be transferable for anywhere else you might encounter young men or men generally. Men are do be around. <laughs> the discourses about all this can really zap our confidence and makes it all sound very scary. Doing this work is a bit easier than it sounds, and I would be doing a bad job if I were to say it's too hard for you to do. So here are a few things that I found very helpful, but it might be a better idea for you to reflect on what has worked for you and to talk about this with colleagues, friends, whomever, uh, yeah. Safety via group agreements. The first thing to do is keep the class safe. If young men are choosing to repeat harmful discourses, we need to make sure that we reduce the possibility of this harming others in the room. This can, of course, include us. This is why having a group agreement is really important. Group agreements or vibe setting or uh, ground rules means that any discussion we have has to be in good faith, where we really try to use language that is appropriate and is not harmful. It's about recognising that relationships, sexuality, gender, the self can be really tricky, tricky topics and we need to take, take a lot of care to make sure it will all go okay. And this is for everyone in the room. It's also really important when we create a group agreement, which may be about vibe or scene setting, that we make explicit that this kind of kindness and care to everyone in the room includes young men, includes young cis straight men. If, when we frame a group agreement or introduce a class, we fix young men in the social location of likely abuser, then this is going to form part of an assemblage which might produce someone for bringing up someone from the manosphere. Next tip, just do small group work. Small groups, small groups really help with this. I rarely work with a whole class at once. It's much better to put people in small friendship groups and give them a really interesting and challenging activity to do rather than just work in one big group. This way we can reduce risks, but also have the opportunities to have interesting micro facilitations responding to the specific needs of the groups. So I could be answering questions about pregnancy risks, be asked for nail polish tips, having a conversation about transitioning and be asked provocative questions like how many genders are there? All in the same class whilst keeping the risks of harm low and taking part in each discussion as I find them and everyone having an interesting lesson. I very rarely ask the whole class to take part in the same discussion with me standing in front of the class. Pay attention to what you're bringing. RSE or any education for that matter doesn't happen outside of you. I think it's useful to think about being part of an interactive flow of education rather than an expert teacher interacting with inexpert students. There's a really nice definition of interaction, uh, which I've got, a, I've got a link to this in the post. Interaction is a Baradian term, so from Karen Barad, used to replace interaction, which necessitates pre-established bodies that then participate in action with each other. Interaction understands agency not as an inherent property of an individual or human to be exercised, but as a dynamism of forces in which all designated things are constantly exchanging and diffracting, influencing and working inseparably. 
Interaction also acknowledges the impossibility of an absolute separation or a classically understood objectivity in which an apparatus, a technology or medium used to measure a property, or a person using an apparatus are not considered to be part of the processes that allow for specifically located outcomes or measurement. This means how you respond, what mood you're in, and what you're seeing or what you think you're seeing as as much part of the lesson as your students. Honestly, the best lessons I facilitate are those where I'm really believing in this. It means that I can stay calm, curious, and kind. This helps the students to do the same, and the outcomes can be amazing. Don't debate. <laughs> Debates in class are just the worst. I also have to remind myself not to lock horns with people either. A few stock responses I always have are, I don't know, what do you think? Oh, some people think that, other people think different things. Oh, that's interesting. What makes you think that? How's that a useful idea for you? Of course, not everyone's going to agree with that, but you do you. A better word for that is, yeah, but I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Trying to intellectually defeat some people's arguments makes for incredibly dull RC and has some possible backfire effects. If we spend a lesson arguing with someone who is a, uh, who is a fan of, uh, for example, uh, of Andrew Tate, we are essentially, oh no, I've read that wrong. I should just read out my, I'm re, I should just read this out properly. <laughs> if we spend a lesson arguing with someone who is a fan of men are essentially this and women are essentially this, then we've taken up a huge amount of space. We've given our interlocutor time and space for their arguments, which reifies those arguments, makes them seem kind of important, but also makes them seem default and makes them seem even more like a common sense position. This can having a backfire effect of making their arguments seem like they have something to them. It also prevents us from looking at a subject from lots of different perspectives. Preventative work. Clearly, the best thing to do is preventative work. Reactive RSE is usually a sign that you've not been doing a good enough job in your school for some time. It's also likely to be crap. Ticking a box in order to say you've covered a topic where really it's just providing cover. Young people can see right through it. I know this because often they tell me this when I come into schools. There are tons of activities and my resources that you can use with all students to explore gender and sexuality. I then go on there to promote some stuff on my website. If you are an educator, please do head to my website and uh, buy stuff and also support all the work I do at Bish, my website for young people, which is um, very, very popular with young men and it diverts them from the manosphere. Every no-nut November, they come to my website rather than unhelpful websites. Anyway, so that's it. I hope you found that useful, dear listener. Every time you hear a really bad take uh, about Andrew Tate, you know, capturing young men, please um, have it. Please think fondly of this podcast and think mm, that's an incredibly basic take and is not helpful or useful. Uh, so please do share this podcast with people in your world if you did find it useful. If you didn't, please don't share it. Don't give me a review. Don't talk about it. Pretend it didn't happen. But if you did like it, if you can review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that would be really great. Five few five-star reviews might really help other people to um, hear this. And, um, and if you want to support the show, head over to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships pays me to make the show but also minor announcement i am starting to make a new zine which i'm releasing page by page um over at the patreon patreon.com 
forward slash culture sex relationships and it's just from a pound a month so everyone gets it um and it's kind of like a zine which is uh about how we relate to ourselves and thinking about ourselves so it's kind of like a not self-care zine but like a kind of a subjectivity zine like a kind of technologies of the self zine and it's going to kind of develop and grow over the next few weeks i've got lots of ideas for lots of different zines um yeah and also um would you like to come on the podcast? <laughs> uh, so one of the really hard things is finding people to come on the show and emailing them about their books and they don't get back to me or uh, arranging times to meet with authors who do agree to come on the show to be interviewed or, or uh, to find people. And I'm very, very busy and I'm very, it's, it's quite tiring. And I would like an easier way to run this podcast. And also I can't commit to spending a huge amount of time on the podcast because it, I have to do things that actually that pay sadly um so to make it easier um in the show notes i'm going to have a link to a survey if you've written a paper or if you've written a blog or if you've written a book or if you've done a video or another podcast or have some really interesting thoughts about something to do with culture sex relationships and you'd like to come on the show um please uh fill out the survey um i can't promise that i'll uh, that everyone who responds to the survey will come on the show obviously some topics I've kind of done to death, but other topics I haven't really done yet um, and would like to do uh, more different topics. Um, so if you think that there's something that you'd really like to talk about uh, and you'd like to come on the show, um, then please do get in touch. Uh, if you're freelance, I could pay you £50, which is based for coming on the show. Uh, ideally, you would do it without as part of your job or as part of uh, promoting your book or or, or project or whatever um, I don't have that much cash and Patreon is not paying a great deal at the moment but uh, if you can that would be great but fill out the survey and then we'll see what happens and we'll see uh, uh, what emerges from this entanglement me, you your phone headphones that the washing up you might be doing or snoozing in bed listening to my dull voice as you go to sleep um yeah uh so uh thank you so much for listening to me droning on hope you found this useful and i'll speak to you next time bye